Well, I can think, I'm sure there's more, but I can think of three reasons why you come to the 1045 service instead of the 9 o'clock service. For some of you, it's because you binge-watched Netflix and needed to sleep in. Others of you just like a casual Sunday morning before you go to worship. And then a group of you also want to get, you know, first grab at the best places for lunch. Uh, so, so I understand why you come to 1045, but next week we need you to come at 9 o'clock. So no Netflix the night before, you know, get your rest. Uh, and I just want to confirm what Sue was saying that this is a really special Sunday. Um, we are going to serve our community. Now, um, many t- well, that's not really worship. Well, actually, that's exactly what it is. The word worship in the Greek language is liturgia. You hear in that word liturgia, the word liturgy. And liturgia or worship is means the work of the people. That's what worship is, the work of the people. So next week we get to serve our community and do that with Christ's love. And this whole series that we've been talking about, what is a Christian, is about learning to love each other the way Jesus loved us. And so you'll have that opportunity next Sunday to uh, be there. So we'll see you at 9 o'clock next Sunday, and it'll be a great, great Sunday. Well, we're continuing our series on what is a Christian. We're about halfway through that series, and what we've learned so far is that uh, the word Christian is only used a couple of times in the New Testament, and it's usually used to refer people outside the church referring to Christians inside the church. Um, Jesus didn't use that word Christian. He used the word what? Disciple. And um, now Christian can mean anything you want it to mean. Uh, That's why you find uh, Christians on either side of every political uh, argument, every war, uh, every ethical or moral conversation. You find Christians on either side of those because it can be defined very loosely. I'm a Christian because I live in the West. I'm a Christian because I'm a Republican. I'm a Christian because I believe in God. It can mean anything you want it to be. but, But a disciple is a very narrow, specific definition. It means you are a follower of Jesus. It means that whatever he asks you to do or think or believe, you will do. In fact, you have an ethical dilemma. You have an issue with your parents. You have an issue with your teacher, a coworker. Jesus, what should I do about that? And you're really wanting his response because you are a follower of Jesus and you want to respond, act in the same way that he acts. And so even as you're saying, yes, Jesus, I want to do this, before he even tells you what you're supposed to do, your answer to him is what? Yes. Yes, of course. It's going to be difficult. I'm not sure I can do it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But the answer is yes, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at um, a dilemma, specifically the tension that we feel in Scripture. Now, um, Jeanette talked about uh, that tension of the cross, right? The beautiful, scandalous cross. There's a tension there. It doesn't make much sense. It seems kind of weird that you would call it both beautiful and scandalous, but that's exactly what it is. And you want to leave that tension alone. You don't want to really mess with that tension. So today we're going to talk about the way that Jesus loved you. Uh, We learned from John, you know, 13, that... uh, uh, you know, a new commandment I have given you that you should love one another as I has, have loved you. 
And by this, they will know that you are a disciple if you love one another, John 13, 34, and 35. So we know this passage very well by now. And that's what this whole series of messages is about, that we are called to love as Jesus loved. But here's the difficult part. The way that Jesus loved was sometimes very confusing, right? I mean, if, if you're a Bible person, you know that. The way that Jesus loved sometimes seemed very uneven, even unfair. The way that Jesus loved was uh, kind of a tension, uh, a dramatic, wow, I didn't know that was coming. When you open the New Testament, you see how Jesus loved, you are surprised to find that, well, the way he loved was sometimes pretty messy and seemingly inconsistent and sometimes unfair. And if you're honest, it's just confusing. So you need to hear this phrase. If you try to remove the tension around how Jesus loved, you give up something very, very important. So don't be tempted to do that. Hold on to that scandalous, beautiful cross. Hold on to that tension that we find in how Jesus loved his disciples. Here at Grace, we want to hold on to that tension. And we know sometimes it's messy, confusing, inconsistent. We don't know quite what to do, but that's what we're going to do. Let me give you an example. A few years ago in our church at Hope in Chandler, uh, we had um, a same-sex a couple come to our church, two women, both of them really nice women, and they had two adopted kids, came to our church several weeks, and then I preached on a series of messages on human sexuality. Well, that got their ears perked up. They heard some things that they didn't agree with, so they met with me that following week. And in our discussion, I said, well, this, you know, what I, I'm, a, I'm a biblical person. My moral ethical baseline is not what society tells me or what, you know, you know I, I learned from uh, other people. It, it's from scripture. And so this is what I believe. This is what God teaches. This is what God teaches is God's best way. Now, I assure you both that you will find love here and you will find respect and you will find opportunities to worship God. And here's the only thing that I ask of you. And I ask of you the same thing I've asked of every other person who walks through the doors of this church. And it's this simple thing. What can I do this week to take one step closer to Jesus? Nobody else can define that for you, but what can I do personally to take one step closer to Jesus? So they went on for a few weeks. Eventually they went to another church that was more open and affirming. But one of the gals, her name's Jenny, uh, became really a good friend of mine. We see each other often at the bagel shop that I go after I work out. I know that's my regimen. I go and work out and then I immediately try to replenish those calories as quickly as I can. You know what I'm talking about. But I, I see Jenny a couple of times a week and she always comes, sits down at the table and we talk about religion and we talk about her girls. It's difficult raising teenagers and all kinds of things. And she wants to know about this and the Bible and that and the other. And she told me one time this phrase, she said, I didn't always like the teaching at Hope, but I was always loved and I was always challenged to grow in my faith. Isn't that beautiful? But it's also a tension, right? I'm loved, but yet you disagree with my lifestyle. I'm respected, yet something's not quite right. That's the tension that I'm talking about today. That's the tension that Jesus seemed to teach. 
Sometimes we, and we don't tell you in advance, sometimes we say, well, this is a message about how you are judged. And another time, a message about how you are affirmed. And sometimes those things happen at the same time in the same message. I mean, there are times when forgiving and other times when we're supposed to hold each other accountable. Remember that man we talked about a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 5, the man who was sleeping with his stepmother, and Paul said, get rid of that guy, move him out until he repents, and then you can bring him back into the fold. And then another story, Jesus takes the woman in adultery, and he says to her, neither do I condemn you. And you go, well, which is it? (laughs) What are we supposed to do? with human sexuality. We're confused, Jesus. What what are we supposed to do? So that's what we're going to talk about today, is this kind of area of confusion. Uh, It's hard to hear. I know some of you are feeling you really want to be over here, and I'm saying, "Mm, don't be over here or over here, but you need to be somewhere in here because there's that tension there, and we don't want to give it up. And we're all tempted to try and solve or resolve that tension. But if we do, we give up something very, very important. I know it's confusing. So we go to the Bible and uh, we go to John once again. John, now this is 45, 50 years after Jesus uh, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. Uh, John is an old man by this time. Uh, He's seen all the other disciples be martyred. They're all dead. He's the only one left standing. And so um, he writes the Gospel of John. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the letters. But he, he writes the Gospel of John. And in it, he talks about Jesus. And now remember, John is the one who's seen all this stuff. He's seen all the persecution. He's seen the, the martyrdom. He's seen the massacre of Christians. He's seen all this bad stuff going on. And he's seen this for 50 years. And now he's on the island of Patmos, and he's writing his letter. That's where he wrote Revelation. And, uh, and so we find John uh, talking to his followers about this tension. The way we're supposed to love is the way Jesus loved us. And there's this messy, inconsistent tension that we're not quite sure of. And this is the way John words it in John 1.14. The Word became flesh. That's Jesus came and lived among us. He camped, camped with us. He pitched his tent with us. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. 33 years, right? We have seen his glory, how he lived, loved, and died for those that he loved. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. There's the tension. Okay, Jesus, which one is it? I'm a big truth guy. I was, I'm, I'm an engineer by my training, okay? I was raised by a truth dad. I was raised in a truth church. Everything that matters is truth. Just do the right thing. I mean, when I was first a pastor, somebody would come into counseling, and I'd just say, just stop sinning. Okay, next. You know, you know, but, but that's not enough. Jesus was what? Full of grace. That means grace overflowing in his life and full of truth. Truth overflowing in his life. It's like the theologians of 200 or, or several hundred years ago, the Desert Fathers, <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, said that Jesus was very God. You've heard that phrase, some of you, and very man. In other words, he was 100% God and 100% man. Well, that same Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. He is full to the brim of grace and truth. There's that tension. Truth says you're accountable. Grace says you're forgiven. Grace says you're okay. 
Truth says you're broken. Grace says no matter what you do, I love you. Truth says you need to deal with your behavior. See the tension there? We always have, now all of you have felt that tension. And if you're like me, um, the way you live in that tension is I want lots of grace, but I want to give my wife lots of truth, okay? So that's the way most of us live, you know. Give me lots of grace, but the rest of the world and the rest of the church, I'm going to truth them. I'm going to truth them all the time. So, so we live in that tension. Now, I grew up uh, in a home, and many of you did too. If you had a two-parent family, most of you grew up in a home where one parent was what? Truth, right? Usually pops, you know. And one parent was grace. Sometimes it was reversed, but um, I, to me, that was a healthy way of growing up. In my family, my dad was truth, and my mom was grace, and it was a beautiful way to be raised. Uh, this one experience I had, I was maybe 10, 11 years old, and I was out in the backyard, and, uh, you know, I was like, uh, you know, I was going to uh, take over Sparta or something. I, 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 I made this sword. I carved this sword. It was really, not a sword, I mean a, a spear. And it was really, you know, you will not pass, you know, that kind of a thing. And, uh, and I made my spear and I was practicing by throwing it in the ground. It was sticking and everything. Oh, my, one of my sisters, I have two older twin sisters, a year older and a younger sister, and one of the twins, Judy, came out in the yard and she was making fun of my spear. Don't make fun of a 10-year-old with a spear. It's not going to work out well for anybody, right? So I was going to show her, you know, I was going to make her scared. I was going to throw the spear right in the ground by her foot. And you know what's coming? I missed. And I hit her in the foot. And boy, did she scream and yell, probably more than she needed to, but it was effective. My dad, Mr. Truth, comes out. He assesses the situation. My sister's there crying and screaming. I'm on the other side of her. He steps over my sister and comes for me. And he truthed me all day. He truthed me in the rear end. He truthed me every way you could think of. I mean, I was... Now, later, my mom, Grace... You know, she held me. I was crying still. Son, I know you didn't mean to do it. Make sure you apologize to your sister. It's going to be okay. Dad, you know, he's going to calm down. So I got that grace. And if you were raised in a family with both, you've got to feel good about that. So John, as he begins to write his gospel, says, listen, I spent three years with Jesus. I watched him navigate these circumstances with the women at the well and the Pharisees, he always seemed to be mad at the religious people and had a lot of grace with the sinful people. And Jesus, I'm confused. What am I supposed to do? And so Jesus was overflowing with both grace and truth. And that's because I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's exactly what I want to be. Jesus says, I want you to be filled with grace and truth. And my answer to him is yes. I don't fully understand it. Kind of feels like a tension. Feels a little inconsistent. But the answer is yes. And so uh, John, uh, again, picks up uh, this uh, narrative. And he's talking about Jesus filled to the brim with grace and truth. And he goes on in verses 15 to 18, says this, John testifies concerning him, Jesus. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's talking about the deity of Jesus. That Jesus didn't show up on the earth and, uh, you know, actually, it probably wasn't zero B.C. 
and after AD, you know. It was probably 4 BC is when he was actually born. We kind of got the numbers wrong. But uh, the fact is, his life didn't start then. His life started before the foundation of the world. (laughs) He's God, right? So that's what John is saying. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his what? Grace. We have all received one blessing after another. This grace is one blessing after another, after another, but I don't deserve it after another, but I really don't deserve it after another, after another. That's what his grace is. So he says that, verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Verse 17, for the law, 10 commandments, right? 600 laws that came out of 10 commandments. The Midrash, thousands of do's and don'ts, okay? We have all that. Lots of truth, more truth than we can handle, okay? Truth everywhere, right? He said, so the law, he didn't say it's bad. It's just that we can't keep it, right? There's nothing wrong with the law. The law was given through Moses. And then he says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law had its place in the Old Testament. It did have a shelf life. It's still good teaching. There's nothing wrong with the law because the law is to keep you from getting hurt, right, and hurting others. Nothing wrong with the law, but you can't keep it. So here comes Jesus, created from the foundation of the world, born in, you know, B.C. 4, grows up to be a man, and he teaches. He said, I am full of grace and truth, not just truth, grace and truth. And then he goes on and says, uh, no one has ever seen God, but God, the only Son, who is the father's the father's side has made him known grace this blessing upon blessing upon blessing over and over again the law nothing wrong with that we just can't keep it grace and truth we need the whole package not a balance between the two but 100% of grace and 100% but, but Jesus that's so messy it's so confusing it's so unpredictable Everybody wants to lean one way or the other. You all grew up in churches that either lean towards, you know, truth, you know, a lot of Baptistic churches and a lot of more uh, legalistic churches and a lot of more liberal churches, United Methodist, United Presbyterian back in the day, lean towards grace. And you always want to kind of push one thing or the other, okay? But Jesus said, no, I was filled with truth and grace because I, Jesus, he has the advantage of knowing the heart and knowing each unique situation each individual so let's look at stories from the bible that's how we're going to learn i just picked out a few uh, you can look them up on your own i'm just going to paraphrase and teach them or tell them because of our time but i wanted to click off several of them because they're very informative so we start with uh, the woman at the well great story john 4 so uh, jesus is on his way back to jerusalem And he doesn't have to go by way of Samaria. In fact, almost everybody did not go through Samaria because Samaria was filled with Samaritans. Okay, that's not rocket science. And Samaritans were half-breeds, many of them, most of them, half-breeds, half-Jewish, half-pagan, or half-Jewish, half-Gentile. And uh, as a result, they were shunned by the Jews. Okay, these are bad people. These are half-breeds. You know, these are people that we don't mess with. Back in, back in the day when we were still kind of worrying, we weren't thinking enough about racism, uh, we, we called them mulattoes. That was a very negative term, you know, half black, half white. Well, that was kind of this thing. You know, these are bad people. Not only were they bad people, uh, this was a woman. And women have no place in society except to make babies. And they really don't matter that much. And 
And so here's this half-breed woman, and here comes out of his way, going out of his way through Samaria. Should never do that, a Jewish man. A Jewish man, and, 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 and confronts her at the well. Now she's thinking, this guy's an idiot. If somebody finds out that he's talking to me, he's going to be punished severely. He's going to be kicked out of the tribe, you know. And so this is not a good thing, she thought. But he's being nice to me, and so he starts a conversation about water. Of course, that's why she was there. And he says he's very kind to her, very grace-filled, very sweet. And, uh, you know, there's a water that I can tell you about that will quench your thirst and it will always satisfy you. Not this, nothing wrong with this water, but I'll tell you about a real water. And she's, she's interested and she's engaged and, and she's looking. And, and, and then he says, oh, by the way, tell me a little bit about your family, you know. Uh, and she said, well, I had, you know, five husbands and the one I'm living with now is not my husband. And so, uh-oh, here comes the truth. And you kind of sense that he's going to settle in there and really kind of ream her out, you know, and say, man, you better not do that anymore because that's destruction. That's, you're heading for death. And, and all that's true. And, and Jesus could have settled in there and, and said, here's what happened next. And this is amazing. This is the only time we see this in the New Testament. Jesus looked at her and he said, I am the Messiah of God. He's never, again, said that to any individual. So this woman that had no value by society at all looked up into the eyes of the Messiah of God and her life was transformed. We don't know exactly how that happened, but the Bible tells us that she goes away rejoicing, saying that she has met the long-awaited Messiah of God. Okay, Jesus, which is it? Because <laughs> I'm confused. Are we going to talk about the, the, the five men that she's divorced and the one that she's sleeping with now? Or are we going to talk about this grace forgiveness thing? Jesus says, yes. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. How about another, another one? So here's um, Matthew. Matthew's a tax collector. Now, he's a Jewish tax collector. The reason this was so significant is that tax collectors were considered like thieves, like the worst type, because they would collect taxes for the Roman government and then they would take some of those taxes and put them in their pockets. So the Jews saw them as traitors, as thieves. They're taking taxes from us, taking some themselves, and they call themselves Jews. And so that was who Matthew was. Jesus, So he's got the little band of disciples. He's collecting them as he goes, you know, really high-quality people like fishermen and stuff like that. And he comes up to Matthew and says, Hey, Matthew, why don't you come be one of us? Disciples go, time out. This guy is the worst sort. I mean, we were told by our parents that we weren't supposed to hang out with little young tax collectors. We were told we shouldn't hang out with those kind of kids because they're a bad influence on us. Jesus said, well, you're not going to like what I'm going to say next because next, all of us as disciples, we're going over to Matthew's house tonight with his other tax collector's friends and we're going to have dinner together. (laughs) He said, we're not supposed to do that. that. That's just all wrong, you know? And Jesus said, wait a minute. He said... I didn't come to protect your reputation. I came, you know this famous verse, I came to seek and to save the lost. (laughs) It's not about your reputation, about who you are hanging out with. I have come to seek and to save 
the lost. And I'm sure when the disciples say, okay, somebody write that down because I'm, I'm, I'm still confused. I still don't quite know what I'm supposed to do. How about another one? Two men hanging on the cross with Jesus. Uh, legend says they were two thieves. They were not two thieves. Uh, the word is they were two criminals. If they had been thieves, they would have uh, uh, been trusted to row a Roman galley for the rest of their lives. That's what thieves did. Okay, they'd be out there rowing for the rest of their lives. But no, these guys did something much more egregious. We don't know what it was, much more simple. In other words, the, the worst people were crucified. It was Roman, the Roman government's way of saying, don't mess with me. If you mess with me, you'll find yourself on one of these crosses. The, the cruelest, most painful way that a human being can die. Okay, so these guys were not just ordinary thieves. These were two big-time sinners, big-time criminals. So what happened on the cross? So they're observing all of what's going on with Jesus. He's starting to he's saying stuff like "I thirst" and stuff like that, and they're thinking this guy's kind of weird. You know, he's not condemning anybody. He's not yelling. And so one of the uh, criminals on the cross uh, said, "Hey, Jesus, if you're the King of the Jews." Why don't you crawl down from this cross, show them that you're the king, and while you're at it, please take us off the cross too, right? So that's pretty genuine feeling, right? And so the other guy says, well, come on. He said, we know that we're sinners. We, we know that we're criminals. We deserve what we're getting. But this man doesn't deserve what he's getting. That's what the other, that's what the other criminal said. And then Jesus does something absolutely stunning. You would think he might settle into a little bit of grace there and say, uh, oh, you must have a good heart. Uh, you know, what you did wasn't that bad. I mean, you only killed a couple people, you know, and it just wasn't, wasn't that bad. But, uh, uh, you know, you're going to be okay. No, he didn't do that. He did something much more amazing. Without arguing, without commenting, he said this, today you will be with me in paradise. The disciples once again go, time out. Just a few days ago, you saw this rich young ruler came up to you with a sincere heart and he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? You said, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. And this guy with one minute on the clock <laughs> gets into heaven? That doesn't, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not righteous. That's not fair. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Please help me understand this. Jesus said, grace and truth. Can't resolve it. There's tension there. Grace and truth. And then another, the most famous story of all. Remember, this this is the speech that started the whole movement. We looked at that last week, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The speech that started the whole movement uh, in chapter 5, he talks about adultery. And uh, so we know that adultery is a bad thing. It was bad in the Old Testament. It was bad in the New Testament. It's bad today, right? It changes lives. It ruins lives. So, so he's talking about this. Uh, he's talking, referring to the speech. And uh, this woman comes up who's taken in adultery. By the way, where's the man? Well, that's right. Men have much more status than women, so we'll just stone the woman and forget the man. So they bring the woman in and they lay her there. The Pharisees gather around. They know the Old Testament law that she's supposed to be stoned. So they pick up these stones. And by the way, these weren't pebbles. These were stones between a half a pound and a pound. They'll crush your skull. 
Okay, uh, This wasn't supposed to be an hour-long thing that you stone somebody. It was supposed to be over in about 30 seconds. And so these uh, Pharisees all had their big old rocks, you know, and they were feeling good. They were getting limbered up, you know. You know, One guy has a rotator cuff, but he's going to... And they were all just getting ready to go. And then Jesus said to them, knowing their hearts and knowing what he said in the speech that got the movement started. Remember what he said? He said, uh, it's not just those who commit adultery, but any man who has lust in his heart has already committed adultery. Oh, now that's really personal. I'd much rather just listen to the law. See, the law, law I can do. I can stay away from adultery. But when you start talking about love, that's a new kind of thing that I don't want to deal with. And so Jesus is there. He knows the hearts of every one of those Pharisees. And some theologians think that... Uh, that Jesus, what he wrote on the ground was starting to write some of the names of the people that these other Pharisees had had sex with, right? And we don't know if that's true, but that makes a lot of sense. And so one by one, these Pharisees, oh, boop, 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 boop. They kind of step away. They drop their rocks until they're all gone. And then he bends down to this woman and he says, where are your accusers? I don't know. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Okay, (laughs) which is it? I'm not condemned or I'm not supposed to sin? Jesus would say, yes, absolutely, yes. This is how I love, filled with grace, filled with forgiveness. But love compels me to tell you that the life you're living will lead to death. You see, for every sin... There's a gotcha. It's a built-in gotcha. You all know this. You've all experienced it. Every sin, there's a gotcha. And God does not want us to get so enwrapped in this gotcha that it's going to ruin our lives. And how many of us could say amen to that in this room? This is how I love. And I love you so much, I don't want you to get stuck. Story after story. Now, as a church, we try to do the right thing. I'm sure David would say, as I would say, that we don't always get it right. Um, I grew up in a truth church where the only thing that mattered was truth, truth stop breaking the law. Remember uh, the old movie 20 years ago, Soar, with Jim Carrey, Liar, Liar, when that one client called him and said, hey, I, I, you know, he was, a, he was a thief. He said, hey, I, I got caught by the police. What am I supposed to do? And Jim Carrey yells at him, stop breaking the law. That's what you're supposed to do. So that, you know, a lot of us grew up with that kind of truth stuff. And a lot of us grew up with that grace, but God has called us to grow up into both of these realities. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, look at what Jesus did. Watch how Jesus loved. He called sin, sin. And then he paid for it. And having paid for it, he says, I don't condemn you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus loved this way. Go and sin no more. But if you fail, I will continue to love you. If you question your faith and you have doubts about a lot of things, I love you. If the complexity of your brokenness and heartbreak and hurt is so great that you never seem to get this thing right, he says, I still love you. If you're involved in self-destructive behavior, a spiral of brokenness, he says, I still love you. Yes, you are a sinner, but I don't condemn you 
because I died for those sins. There's tension there, believe me. Don't think this is easy. There's tension there. You try to resolve it, but if you do, you give up something that is very important. You know why we don't ever give up on truth? Because as I said before, sin has a gotcha. God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to be swallowed up by a gotcha. Don't touch that stove. Don't do drugs. No sex before marriage. I love you too much not to tell you about the gotcha. So here's what truth says, feels. Here's how you treat each other. Here's why you avoid sex out of sight of marriage. Here's why you don't lie or cheat because that gotcha will get you. And if it does, God says, it breaks my heart. When I see you wrapped up in a gotcha, it breaks my heart. And why don't we ever give up on grace? Because you can't breathe without it, right? You can't survive another minute without the grace of Jesus. You can't live without that, knowing that you are loved and you are forgiven. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. And we, as his body, are to love like Jesus loved, full of grace and full of truth. We still get it messed up once in a while, but the church is at its best when it is full of grace and truth and refuses to let either one go. If you want to know what Jesus meant by what he said, look at the way he lived. Love one another as I have loved you. So I want to close with this story, true story. Uh, A few years ago in our church in Chandler at Hope Covenant, we had a girl, a teenager in our youth group. uh, Her name was Becky, who... uh, 17 years old, uh, senior in high school, she got pregnant. And her youth pastor talked to her, and uh, she was very sad and heartbroken about this decision she'd made. And And I talked to her, and I, uh, I I spoke truth to her, but I also loved her. And and then something remarkable happened that was totally out of my control. A bunch of the ladies, um, and many of them older ladies, I should say that, of a different generation, decided to throw Becky a baby shower. Now, there was a lot of curmudgeons in our church who said, whoa, 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 if we do that, we're saying that it's okay to do that behavior. You know, just like the, 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 just like the disciples said about uh, the, the tax collectors, oh, if we, if we let him in our team, it's like we're saying it's okay to be a tax collector. But these beautiful women had this beautiful shower for Becky, And she remained in the church, single mom. She is still in the church today. Now her son is, I don't know, eight, nine, yeah, older than that, years old. Christopher, the boy, when he was about four years old, gave his heart to Jesus in Sunday school. Still goes to Sunday school every single Sunday. And if we had have said, no, stay away, your behavior is not acceptable, she might have never gone back to church in her life. It's not easy. Don't think I have all the answers. I don't. It's messy. It's complicated. And sometimes we just don't know what to do. In, for, my, for my money, I'm always going to err on the side of grace. I was raised in a truth church. I know what that's about. But I'm going, if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of grace. 
My prayer for Grace Community Church is that we will love like Jesus loves with truth and grace, holding up the biblical standard of truth with enormous helpings of grace. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, we are like little children. Sometimes we just don't know what to do. Sometimes we're confused and we don't know what's right or wrong. But here we have signed off. This group in this room right now, this group for the most part, we've signed off on being disciples. We've said yes. And so this is the hardest yes you've asked us to do. And that's to be full of truth and at the same time be full of grace because we don't always know what that looks like. But Father, you do. And if we're to be followers of Jesus, we want to follow you to the cross where that forgiveness is found, where that grace is found. And we want to not only experience that, we want to absorb that. We want to give that away because Lord, we cannot breathe without grace. So Lord, help us as your followers to be completely filled with truth and completely filled with grace. And yeah, that means to even live with that tension. For we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And all of God's people together said, amen. I know this is a hard sermon. I know it's not easy. And I know you have a lot of questions, but believe me, do not try and resolve this tension. Try and live in it. We're going to take a moment for reflection and meditation. You'll have a question to look at. But during that time also, we'll provide uh, the Lord's Supper for those who would like to participate. Here at uh, Grace Community Church, we experience open communion, which means if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, you're welcome to come to the table, even if this is not your permanent church home. So the Lord Jesus bids you come to the table.